Thank you, worship team and Pastor Matt for leading us in singing. It's just great to be able to sing. And it's great to be able to sing with you. So as we continue on in our sermon series, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open them. And we'll be in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. As we continue on in our sermon series called Churchology and looking at different aspects of the church, we started off by looking at what is the church. And then Pastor Matt taught us and preached to us about the, churches, uh, the, the church as the temple of God. And last week we took a look at elders and what they do and who they are and what they uh, are qualified to do and their job. And today we're looking at another office that is in the Bible called deacons as we continue on in our sermon series to do that. On a side note, as I think about it, there was a great question that was asked at our members meeting. As, as we continue to ask, you know, what does the Bible say? We don't have, as a church, these formal offices, but we are working towards those things. And I ask and covet your prayers as we seek to always ask, what does the Bible say? And to do that properly. But as I was reflecting upon deacons and what they are, I have to ask you a question. Have you ever had a bad experience when you've been at a restaurant with a waiter waitress? I already hear the laughs. We've all had those, right? I remember one time, a long time ago, I was in high school, which seems like a lifetime ago. But I was in high school, and my friends and I would do something special on Fridays because we could drive. This was OACs back in the day when, you know, they had OACs. Um, yeah, OECs. And um, you could drive while you're in school. And we went to a restaurant, which was a buffet because we were high school boys and uh, you had to go to a buffet. But I remember we weren't mad. We weren't being dis, uh, disrespectful. We were pretty respectful people. Um, and I remember uh, the waitress was just awful. Um, and and I, don't, I didn't know why. I didn't, I didn't know. And I remember even, so we got up from our table and we're paying, and I, and I was like, man, that, that waitress was awful. Uh, it just made our experience there just really bad. And, you know, it got to the point where I actually was like, ah, I don't even know if I'm going to tip her. And I said that out loud. And then I saw my friend's face, just their eyes just got big. And I'm like, she's, she's behind me. <laughs> Isn't she? And, and, uh, and they're like, yeah. I went, oh. Uh, short, long story short, I uh, ended up giving her a fairly sizable tip at that moment. But to, to the point, waiters are an important part. And, and as we look at what the Bible says about deacons, there's actually a description of how deacons are called, they, they wait tables. That's what they are. They're the servants of the church, and they play a vital point in the church, a vital role in the church of what they do and who we are. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, which says this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected, and that in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, <clears throat> therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, a man full of, sorry, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for this chance we have to continue to worship you by opening your word together. Lord, I pray that indeed you are are glorified. And God, I I am unable to do this on my own. So by your spirit, Lord, will you use this sermon to glorify your name, to bring joy to the people and salvation to the lost. Lord, may may we be reminded of who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And amen. In verses 1 to 2, we see that a problem arises. There's a problem that is beginning to happen here in verses 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, this is an amazing thing. I love this. And I don't know how we would react to something similar. So the church started with this small ragtag group of people, right, men and women. And then Peter preaches this sermon. And God uses that by the power of the Holy Spirit to call a whole bunch of people to himself. 3,000 we see in Acts, which is crazy. Like, just imagine that. I preached the best sermon ever. (laughs) And God uses that in 3,000 people. It was a complete and utter work of the Holy Spirit, working and calling people to himself. But by this time, we're probably thinking of that. There's probably about 20,000 sorry, 20,000 people that are now part of this church in Jerusalem. And you know what happens when things begin to grow fast? Logistics. Logistics become a problem. Even when you think about companies that grow too fast, you can't keep up with the supply line. Eventually, the company actually collapses because they can't keep up. And this is what's happening right now in this church. There's a logistical problem that is happening, and it's, and, it's, and it's an administrative. And the problem is this, as it continues on in verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenistic uh, arose against the Hebrews. These are two groups of Jews, those who grew up in Israel and those who grew up outside of Israel. And what has happened is those who grew, out, grew up outside of Israel, you know, they, they want to spend their retired lives in the promised land. So they pack up in their retired older days and the husband and wife would move to to Jerusalem where they would set up. But the problem is this, is that the husband was the income winner of that family. And eventually, like we all will, the husband passed away. He died. Leaving the wife to be dependent upon the society. And, and, And in that culture, there was a strong sense of caring for the widows, as we will get into. But what happens when you don't grow in the land is that you also don't know the language. And people were beginning to be overlooked just simply because communication was a problem there. So a complaint begins to arise as, these, as a church, as God begins to grow the church in such a way 
There's been a couple of attacks really, really early on in the church. We have persecution that has happened with, with Peter and, and John as, as they've been persecuted for the sake of the gospel. We have hypocrisy that has come up with Ananias and Sapphira. There's been a lot of attacks that have been happening on this young church that the Holy Spirit is growing, and now there's another one called division. Because if anything that the Romans knew about at that time was that divide and conquer was the key. If you're a parent, if you got your spouse with you, kids are really good at that. I'm pretty sure the Romans learned from their children more than anything. Divide and conquer. And Satan was getting in there and he was dividing them. And you see that right off the bat. Legitimate concern, right? But that concern was beginning to divide the church. The problem was beginning to arise. This is why we pray in our, in our pre-service prayer and even during our, our weekly prayer time in this prayer week that we had just recently, that we would have unity amidst diversity with people with whom we have nothing in common with but the gospel. We pray that daily. I pray that for you and for me. This is why it's so important to make sure that we don't apply our own idea of holiness to other people, but seek God's standard. Because it's when we realize what God's standard of holiness is that we're all in trouble. And we desperately need Jesus Christ. But that also means that we bestow grace upon those who we may not necessarily agree with on every level. But this complaint begins to arise. And because their widows, as it continues on, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, there's this problem. The Bible says a lot about this actual problem. This wasn't a social, this, this wasn't a social program for widows necessarily, but they were, they, they, the, the, there was no, sorry, there was no social program for widows at that time. There was no welfare or CERB or all the other ones. Right? There wasn't that. It was on the society, the church, their friends, their family to care for the widows. But if you moved away from your family and you moved into a new land, you had no family. So who then is the one who cares for him? In Deuteronomy 10, verses 13, verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And what does this look like? God actually continues on in Deuteronomy 10, verses 18 to 19. He says, God executes justice for the fatherless and the widows and loves the sojourner, the, the traveler, the, the, the alien, and giving food and clothing. And he tells the people the same thing in the New Testament. And James chapter 1, verse 27 says, he defines pure religion as, as visiting and caring for the orphans and the widows in their affliction. So in Acts 2, just a few chapters before this, in 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, which means they cared for one another. So the church was caring for those who were widows and orphans and all the others. But there was still this problem that was coming as they were fulfilling that act. What's really neat about this is that hospitality... And, and, and mercy were part of the church before even the office of deacon was established within the church. Because, again, it's ingrained in us. God has blessed us so much in so many different ways. 
It could be financially, but at the bare bones, he has saved us when he didn't have to. And now that pushes us out. See, the issue, though, is this. As we get on in verse 2, is that the apostles saw and acknowledged this need and this problem. They saw it, and it was a big problem, and they needed to do something about it. But they were facing a problem themselves, because in verse 2 it says, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The apostles had this keen reality that they knew exactly what God had called them to do. This is actually passed on later on to to elders, right? We talked about this last week. The job of the elders is to exercise oversight, and they do that by teaching and preaching. But as they continue on, there's this problem. So what do we do, the apostles are thinking? You know, do I stop preaching and stop teaching, stop praying so that I can care for these people? That's an important thing, but what do I do? So they gather everyone together. And I want to make sure that we also understand that to serve tables in this context is not a derogatory comment. Waiting tables was a necessary and honorable task, even in this culture. But what they are saying is that it is better suited for someone else. They had a clear understanding of the role that they were playing and the call that was on their lives, and they stuck to it. So the widows needed to be cared for. And the widows of a specific group in this young church weren't being taken care of. So what is to be done? In verses 3 to 6, we see that a problem is beginning to be solved. A problem is solved. As verse 3 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. So the, the apostles come to this young group of disciples, this young group church, this young church, and says, all right, you see the people around you. you got 20,000 of them, right? Pick seven. Pick seven men who are of good repute, of good reputation. If the problem is that the apostles are tasked with the ministry of the word, but other people are being overlooked. What do they do? So they call a meeting. It's like this classic Baptist thing, right? They call a, um, a committee meeting. And the church looks around them and they find these seven men who are of good repute. And, 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 and it gives you even more details. And what does it mean to be of good reputation? It means that when you look at them, you think, wow, they are a good example of what it means to be godly. It doesn't mean sinlessness, That is not the requirement. We can't be sinless on this side of the grave. But it is personal holiness and Christian maturity that is certainly evident within these people. And they are also men who are full of the Spirit. I can't emphasize this anymore. Do you notice uh, from last week and this week that there's a... There is no compromise in the character of these individuals. They're not just picking people to throw into these positions. They're picking people that are exemplifying Christ in their lives right now. And they're saying, that is a good person for this position. That is someone who is a person who is full of the Spirit. To be full of the Spirit is to be controlled by God's Spirit rather than our own flesh or sinful nature. The apostles didn't take a chance on people of unproven character. They chose people who had proven themselves already. 
and which is great because we see a list later on, which we'll kind of briefly get into, of who these types of men are. But these men, and, and this matters because the church and the gospel receive no advantage from our appointing of those who are not full of the Spirit. Deacons are to be men known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And as he continues on in wisdom, we see that in Proverbs 117, at the beginning of fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is an important thing that these men not only be full of the wisdom, but they also are demonstrating wisdom and how they interact with other people in their lives right now. These are men who live by God's precepts and apply them to life situations. I love Stephen. And if you want to learn a little bit more about Stephen, just read the next verse, or verse 8 and following. <clears throat> and I love how God uses this man who was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, as verse 5 says, and full of God's grace and power, as verse 8 says. All of these things can only be done through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So the apostles are saying that these men must be genuinely saved. And how we know that people are genuinely saved, it does come forth in their life. How do you judge a fruit? You judge a, fruit, you judge a tree by its fruit, is what they're saying. They must exhibit the fruit of the Spirit like Paul talks about in Galatians 5. These are not only people that can resolve problems, but they are also people who can anticipate problems so that the unavoidable bumps along the way do not completely derail the church from the mission of making disciples who, who are from the mission of being disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Are you that type of person known for the wisdom when looking at the problems? Are you slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry? Do you consider the ideas of others, or are you committed to your own thoughts more than others? Do you show wisdom not only in, in, in arriving at decisions, but also in implementing and helping others to understand that decision? This is what they're talking about, a man full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And we can't do any of this outside of Jesus. Not an ounce. The Bible describes us as rebels and sinners and enemies of God, objects of his wrath. There is no possible way anyone can be filled with the Spirit outside of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. God has justified us, but he's also sanctifying us. If you have been justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again, you are being sanctified. You are growing in Christ-likeness. That's not an option. For those who are justified are being sanctified. You will grow. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the type of people that are here. So there's, there's an emphasis of making sure that those who are in this position are actually those who are growing in Christ. You know, I was just going to be sarcastic. What a concept, right? That we actually put people in offices within the church that are actually growing in Christ-likeness. I can't overestimate the importance of this type of person that is shown here that is shown of being in the office of a deacon. As a church, we're not looking to fill positions. We're looking for men who, who, we're looking for people who exemplify these characteristics already, because, not because they're some sort of super Christian, 
Every characteristic that we see listed out in eldership and deacon qualifications are characteristics that are repeated elsewhere to the local church. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 9, it says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Deacons are people who are established believers. And in 1 Timothy, there must be a time of testing to make sure that they are blameless. We aren't talking about perfection, but we are talking about people who are above reproach in good standing, have confidence in their faith, meaning that they know their faith and they believe their faith. And the outcome of this was that this, so, God, so the apostles called the church, the church finds these seven men and the, and the apostles, as it continues on, will appoint these people to this role. In verse four, it's so that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, it's very interesting when we look at the order of this. Prayer is first. Ministry of the word is second. Preaching without prayer is vain. You can't do it. You know, one quote says, I ask whether you pray, because diligence in prayer is a secret of eminent holiness. Without controversy, there is a vast difference among true Christians. A belief, a, I believe the difference in 19 cases out of 20 arise from different habits about private prayer. I believe that those who are not eminently holy pray little, and those who are eminently holy pray much. J.C. Ryle. So when I look at these verses, it shows that here deacons administer the practical but vital day-to-day -day mercy ministry of the church. They are examples of what James talks about in James chapter 1, verse 27. They are the ones who, who, who are caring and visibly are an example of visiting and caring for orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That is who they are. They are an example to us all. And while these servants serve the church, especially the needy, they also free these 12 apostles to, in their own words, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There's another translation that says the preaching ministry. The deacons' exercise of their gifts will allow these 12 apostles to fulfill their calling. They're so important. But here's the question for you. What caused the church to grow to this size? This, this is a church that withstood persecution, scandal, and is now facing division. How does it get from a handful of people to 20,000 people? It wasn't a program. It wasn't some sort of specific ministry. It was the word of God being faithfully preached, the gospel. So what, you may ask, pastor, I'm not a deacon. Again, we are a congregational church, which means that you will at one point vote for these offices. Both elder and deacon will be things that you vote for. So how do we 
vote for people. We need to understand that deacons are the servants that free the elders to shepherd the flock of God. We need to understand what they do and how they do it, the type of person that they are called to be and do. A few years ago, I was walking with a young man who uh, the elders that I was with uh, acknowledged that young man as a potential elder. So we purposely walk with them. He's already doing the job. He's already shepherding his family and the church. He's seeking to teach and to grow in Christ-likeness. So now we purposely identify them and walk with them. And he says to me, he says, you know, Nate, because that's my name. And uh, he says, Nate, can I, can't I just be a deacon before I'm an elder? And I said, no, 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 no. They're not stepping stones. One's not a stepping stone to the other. They're two different offices with two different calls. Either you feel that one of the deciding points, because the characters are the same, one of the deciding points between elder and deacon is this question, can you teach? And do other people think you can? Right? Because I feel like me, sometimes we just get so hard in our head that, well, yeah, I can teach, no problem. Yeah, let's ask someone else. Both offices are needed in the church in order for health to happen. A plurality of elders who are dedicated to overseeing the church and who are dedicated to praying and to teaching her and loving her and shepherding her, this is only able to happen with deacons who joyfully serve the church. Because again, the same problem happens with the apostles, right? If they have been charged with the teaching and the preaching of the word of God to the ministry of the word of God, and they have to take care of the important, do not hear me say it's not, but the important care of the physical needs of people, they can't do both. Now they're divided. Now they're doing both. Either you're going to burn them out or one of them's not going to happen. You need both. Deacons don't lead or oversee the church. This is the role that is given to the elders. We see this in Acts 20, 1 Timothy, and last week we looked at 1 Peter 5. Instead, deacons, they humbly serve the congregation by ensuring practical matters are met. When they are doing this, they free up the elders, both paid and unpaid elders, from doing to do the tasks that devote themselves to both prayer and the ministry of the word. And leading. So, for example, a deacon may handle a benevolent request so that the pastor can prepare a sermon. I'm very thankful for people that do that. A deacon makes, take, may take care of the church's leaky roof so that elders can focus on equipping and counseling others. Of course, you know what? There is overlap, right? Because if you follow me on Instagram, you notice that I was up in the attic not too long ago trying to figure out that thing i fixed it no i didn't fix it we figured out what was going on it's a funny story you can ask me later right it doesn't mean that there's no overlap but there are priorities that have to happen at some point even for me i have to say you know what i can't get up there right now and fix this i have to prepare my sermon or i have to go visit someone or something like that that doesn't mean one's not important than the other it means that i know what i'm being called to do and deacons do that they serve joyfully and they're needed. When deacons serve the congregation and support the elders, they protect the unity of the church. We see this, right? In Acts chapter 6, 
something Jesus views as precious. We see that in John 17 when, when Jesus preaches his priestly prayer. One reason those first deacons were so important is because they prevented the church from, fragment, from fra- fracturing. And what was the net result of that? I know I only said one to six, but seven is the net result. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Priests were the ones that were actually involved in the crucifixion of Jesus and getting all the people all riled up to do it, were being convicted of their sin, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the very person that they had just killed. Why? Because the word of God continued to increase. Deacons are important. They are an important part of the church. And what was the, and that is the net result of what is happening there. I love how the CSB puts it in Acts 6 7. So the preaching about God flourished. Love it. See, because those deacons served the physical needs of the body, the unity of the church was preserved, the witness of the church was preserved, the apostles continued to preach the word, they were faithful to the Great Commission, and the Great Commission advanced. Yet even though deacons are not uh, the congregational spiritual leaders, their character is of utmost importance, which is why deacons should be example should be examined and held to the biblical qualifications that are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Deacons are servants that free the elders to shepherd the flock of God. And for further evidence that there is sometimes crossover, as I hinted about, Stephen did die for proclaiming the gospel in public. He was a man full of the Spirit and full of grace. He's an example for us all. In fact, God used Stephen to call another man that we so highly elevate, the Apostle Paul. This is an important position, and they're needed. Deacons are the servants that free the elders to shepherd the flock of God. Pray for these people. We have people here at this church that faithfully serve in these ways right now, and I'm very thankful for them. Pray that we would continue to raise up men and women who seek to be and to grow in godliness. And may we continue to be a church that is seeking to be faithful disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for who you are. And what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for these two offices, for elders and for deacons, and the the important role that they play in ensuring that we can be a healthy church. Lord, I pray that we would pray for those who are faithful elders and faithful deacons here at Norwood. Lord, I pray that they may continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of him. May you use them as we seek to be lights in this city. May we be bold with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nate, for bringing us uh, God's word this morning. Why don't you stand with us as uh, we end?